Good morning. So good to have Vanessa and Chris. Chris, thank you for being here with us and leading us in worship. Um, so good. Uh, Christy is on a well-deserved vacation with uh, her family going to see some family in Louisiana. They haven't been able to see them since like pre-COVID, so good for them. But thanks, you guys, the Cook family, the Voss family here. These guys were a huge part of Novation from the pretty much the get-go, so it's good to have you guys back. Um, let me pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for Jesus. I pray this morning as I speak, I remind myself and us that we don't need to hear from me, we need to hear from you. So Lord, lead and guide my thoughts, lead and guide this teaching to be helpful to us all. Jesus' name, amen. Um, Who read the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People? Okay. One of the, it's Stephen Covey wrote that book, and one of the sayings that you get from that book is he says, you got to keep the main, keep keeping the main thing, the main thing. And I got to thinking about that. That's Jesus. He's the main thing. When it comes to church, understanding our life, Jesus is the main thing. And when we get our eyes off of the main thing, we're going to go down the wrong road. So I was thinking about Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday, hands down. And when you think of the Thanksgiving meal, what's the main thing? Cranberry sauce, sauce, Turkey. turkey, family, football, pie, stuffing, mashed potatoes, sweet potatoes, green beans. Yes. The main thing of Thanksgiving is to be thankful. All those things are just the side dishes, so to speak. Get hungry thinking about that right now. Love Thanksgiving meal. Jesus, he's the main thing. And we're in a series that we've been doing called Rediscover Church. And the definition of rediscovering something is to discover something that's been neglected, ignored, or forgotten. And I think that, that the church, in a misunderstanding of what it means to be part of his church, we need to rediscover that and remember and not neglect, not ignore something that is so precious to him. There's a passage that I've talked about a few times, and I'm going to read it again Um, This morning out of Matthew 16 And Jesus says When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi When you're reading your Old Testament And you see the word Bashan Thank Caesarea Philippi The Romans renamed Bashan Caesarea Philippi He asked his disciples Who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied Some say John the Baptist Others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock... I will build my church, 
and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus says, I'll build my church. Now, Caesarea Philippi, if you, if you have not heard me teach this before, is at the foot of Mount Hermon or Mount Hermon. And in the Old Testament, it was called Bashan, and it was the place of pagan idol worship and sacrifices and all kinds of stuff. And they called it the gates of hell because this was a physical reality that Jesus was revealing to his disciples. It was a place. This isn't, uh, he wasn't using a metaphor, so to speak. There was a, a caves that had a pool of water and they believed that you went, that was the doorway to Hades. So Jesus is giving a visual to his disciples. He says, I'm going to build my church. None of this can stop me from building my church. It was a messy place. Jesus loves messy people. How many are glad he loves messy people? He loves my messy behind. I'm very thankful for that. But one thing we got to get is when he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Gates are defensive, right? They're trying to keep something out. And Jesus is saying on his mission, on this revelation of who he is, I'm going to build my church and I'm going through the gates of hell. Powerful, powerful statement. I think we get a big misunderstanding of the word church often because we, as we've been discussing, church is not a building. It's not a place. Church is not a hierarchy. As some people look at church and they think of the hierarchy of, you know, the, the leadership, the bishops, the this, the that. There's no hierarchy in the body of Christ. Jesus, <laughs> he's the top. And Sometimes people get this idea that church is a national thing. It's some national, you know, and it's not a nation. Church is not a nation. Church is not a denomination. The church is not the moral police of society. People get really wrong understanding, and then they begin to not like this thing called the church. And most of the time, people don't like the, quote, institution of the church. But when we rediscover what church is... We should fall in love with the church again. People say things like, well, I love Jesus, but I don't like the church. Think about that statement. That we're saying, if we say that, we are saying we don't love what he loves. We don't love what he gave his life for. So we need to re-understand this word church. My prayer in this whole series has been that we rediscover the church. I know pre-COVID, the church in America was in decline in, in its participation. People participating in church was already in decline. Post-COVID, right, has been a whole new thing. I mean, I joke about it often, but it's, it's easy to go to Bedside Baptist Church on Sunday morning and let Pastor Pillow preach that message, right? I mean, I'm teasing, but it is, and we got into some habits, and we can never forget that church is about people. It's about us gathering together. It's about praying and worshiping, not just the service itself, but it's this. Church is, is people. So let me give a couple thoughts on this. First of all, the church is universal. His church is, is universal. The word Catholic means universal. All of God's people in all places in all times. We're unified with, with people from all cultures, 
all languages. It says in, in Revelation that around the throne is every tribe, every tongue, every nation is around the throne of Jesus. Why? Because we confess Jesus as Savior and Lord. We're filled and baptized by the same Holy Spirit we read from the same book that unites us together. That's why I think it's so important to do cross-cultural ministry. If you've never been on a short-term mission, I encourage you to do it. I've had the privilege of going to El Salvador, um, the Dominican Republic. Obviously, we've been several times, uh, England and Scotland, and go serve the church. And you pray with people and you worship with people from different cultures. It makes you appreciate what we have. It makes you appreciate the body of Christ, makes you appreciate the church. And I've learned going to both Spanish-speaking countries and being in Scotland, I think I understand Spanish better than I do my Scottish brothers and sisters. Like, Jesus church. It's like, caught about 1% of that. But I remember worshiping in the, in the sugarcane village in Lavalsa, where we go. Many of you have done that. And we've had like 100 people from Novation go to the Dominican Republic and experience that. And when they began to do their cultural worship rather than just contemporary worship, there's nothing like that. It's moving. It's a little taste of, of heaven. The second aspect to his church, it's universal, but it's also local, right? The local church is the smaller gatherings and expressions of Christ followers in a particular area or location. Novation is a local church. We are an expression of his church. This building is not Novation Church. We are part of his church, universal and the local expression of that. There's a church down the street. They're worshiping Jesus this morning. They're seeking him. They're praying. They're wanting to lead people to Jesus. So there's the local churches. We need churches of various shapes and sizes, right? Because we come in various shapes and sizes. And, and some people like bigger churches, some people like smaller churches, and everything in between. The bottom line, it's not about any of that. It's about Jesus. Everything is about him. He's, he's the main thing. And so a couple in the New Testament, a couple uh, metaphors that are used about the church are, we are his body. We're the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12 talks about that. We're his family, we're told in Galatians. We're the family of God. And then we're his bride. So those three metaphors are used often in the New Testament. And again, in rediscovering church, loving what he loves, loving what he gave himself for, when you get in, in our world that's so anti-church because people have been hurt by church. If you weren't here last week um, and, and you've been hurt by church or you know somebody that has, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that message because the church is imperfect. We have to accept that. It's imperfect because I'm part of it. <laughs> it's imperfect because we're all part of it. But Jesus is perfect. We're the imperfect following the perfect Savior. So if you think of these metaphors of body, family, bride, can you imagine saying, hey, Jesus, I love you, but I don't like your body. Jesus, I love you, but I don't like your family. Jesus, I love you, but I don't like your bride. 
I mean, them's is fighting words, right? If you don't, that, that's, we, we got to be careful and help people to realize the difference between people being the church and the organization of it or the institution of it and realize he loves his church. Jesus loves his church. He gave his very life for it. He takes responsibility to build it. He gave us the responsibility to go and make disciples. That's the the job of the church. So how do we make sure we keep Jesus the main thing? That's my question from here on out. How can you and I keep the main thing the main thing? I think rediscovering church is first and foremost about recognizing that church is not all the side dishes, right? Like what Thanksgiving is about. It's great. The meal is great, but the point of Thanksgiving is to give thanks. The point of church is Jesus. So the first thing I would say is let's not lose focus. Everything's about Jesus. Uh, hundreds of years ago, people thought the world was flat. And people thought that the earth was the center of the known universe. And this guy named Copernicus with the technology he had, he was an astronomer, he discovered that not only was the world not flat, but the sun was the center of our solar system, that we were just part of it. He discovered that changed the world. I think we could take that as a church family and being part of the, the bigger picture of the, the universal church that Jesus, the Son of God, is the center of the universe. It's all about him and recognizing that, recognizing like what's the job of the moon? The job of the moon is to reflect the sun so we have a little bit of light at nighttime. And that's what we've been called to do. One of my favorite passages of scripture is in Colossians chapter one, beginning in verse 15, about the glory of Jesus and who the person of Jesus really is. The apostle Paul says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus is a big deal, and he's the real deal. And it's all about him. It's not about all the, 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 side, the side dishes, so to speak. Every time I come up to teach, um, I don't take my, myself very seriously, but I do take my responsibility serious to teach the Word. And I recognize the privilege responsibility it is. And I pray every time, Jesus, I recognize apart from you, I can do nothing. Like I'm zip if you're not in this. And that, and it's, I always remind myself, and this isn't about me. This is about you. This isn't about Novation Church or any of that. It's about Jesus. 
And it, it helps me focus on, on him because it's, it's about him. He is, uh, he is what life is about. So many people are walking around this world and they don't understand their purpose. And we get into a dead-end job or a career or a vocation that we don't like and, and we just think, ah, oh, why do I exist? You exist because Jesus wanted you to exist. You exist because Jesus is your purpose in life. All the things that we do, we do with him. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So that's all of life. Apart from him, I can't be a good husband. Apart from him, I'm not going to be a good dad. Apart from him, I'm not going to be a good friend. But through Christ, we can do all things. Everything he calls us to do and be, through him, he gives us the strength to do it. Second thing I would say, if we're going to keep Jesus the main thing, is let's never make it about rules and rituals. Amen? Amen. Never make it about rules, rituals. That leads us to religious behavior. And Jesus didn't come to create a religion. He came to establish relationship, that we would be in that relationship with him and his father. He brought us in to that very relationship through the spirit. How many people get turned off about church because their experience of church was rituals and rules and thou shalts and thou shalt nots and all of that. And it's not about that. It's, it's, if we make it about that, we're going to get our, Jesus won't be the main thing. Those things become the main thing. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. It was a region, modern-day Turkey. And after he started the church there, some people called the Judaizers came in behind Paul's teaching. And they began to tell the churches, yes, it's about faith in Jesus and it's also about becoming Jewish in your practice, doing all the ceremonies and laws and, and all of that. And the Apostle Paul was the Jew of Jews, right? He was a Pharisee, the Hebrew of Hebrews, he said. But he knew that it wasn't about being Jewish. It was about Christ and being in Christ. And so he writes the letter to the Galatians to help them break that, that slavery that was beginning to happen to them about rules and rituals and do's and don'ts and laws. And he says this in Galatians 5.1. He says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The slavery he's talking about is being a slave to the do's and don'ts, to the law. Now, I've come to discover even more recently that my understanding of the law of Moses in the Old Testament, um, I appreciate it more. It actually is a gift from God. It ordered society in an unordered world that was pagan and chaotic, and it set the Jewish people apart. So the law is not a bad thing in itself. It, it ordered their society. But it was never meant to be a means of righteousness or a means of right standing with God. And when we make rules and rituals, our relationship with God, who can live up to that, man? I fail every day trying to keep some sort of list. As soon as you, as soon as you say you're going to lose weight and get in shape, and you eat right one day and you exercise one day, you're like, do I really want to do this anymore? Like, <laughs> Unless you see some results, right? And 
and the, the, the truth about the law is it arouses the sinful nature, Paul says. The more I'm trying to do my lists, the, the more I want to do what I'm trying to avoid. You can't, you know, you're not going to eat sweets, right? Then all you can think about is sweets. As soon as you make that declaration, I'm not going to eat sweets, all I can think about is donuts and graham crackers, right? It's not about that. It's about Jesus. He came to give us liberty. The commands of Jesus, he said, walking with him, right? His burden, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. The commands of Jesus are summarized in the word love. You will be obeying Jesus in the, the, the law of Christ when in every given situation with people in your life and you say, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? That you'll be obeying Jesus in every situation. That's freedom. That's the freedom that he gives us. And the next, I would say, if we're going to keep Jesus the main thing, let's not let it be based on our preferences and secondary issues. We live in a world where, in modern culture, where it's easy to make church about our preferences, our styles, secondary issues. But it's important to remember that church is not about me. It's not about someone's preference. Church is about us together, and it's about Jesus. It's not about a style. It's not about this or that. I get it. We're people. We have the freedom to choose styles and things that we, that we like. But rediscovering church will rediscover church and it will lead us to realizing church is not about what I get out of it, though church is here to meet needs and all that kind of stuff. It's about what am I giving back to his body, to his family. That's, that's when we've really rediscovered churches. It's not about me. It's about what am I giving back into my, my church family. Paul tells us in Philippians, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the, also for the interests of others. So it's not our preferences. Sometimes we make it about secondary beliefs, secondary issues. Um, we move from preference to pet doctrines. I like to call it pet doctrines. There are things that unite all believers, past, present, and future. Uh, beliefs, I would say, are the ancient creeds of the faith, the Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed. That unites all believers. Those are the basics of the faith, the fundamentals that unite all believers. There's a lot of secondary things that disunite believers sometimes. In, in our, uh, we make a, a secondary issue a primary issue. And we've tried for 10 years to be a church where we major on the majors and we discuss the secondary things, but we're not going to divide. You know, if you look up, you know, there used to be this thing called the phone book, and it was actually a book, the yellow pages. Some of you might not know that that actually existed, but you open up to churches, and there was list after list after list of different styles of, of churches. That all happened because somebody took a secondary issue or a group of people, and they made it a primary issue. And it becomes our pet doctrines, and it becomes an agenda, becomes the focus. We have a little dog named Daisy. God bless little Daisy. 
I have such a love-hate relationship with this little creature. She's adorable. Um, she's sweet. She's smart. She drives me nuts, too. Like, when anybody that's ever been over to our house, um, I have to apologize all the time because she jumps on everybody when they come in and puts her little sharp claws and no one likes that, right? When you come into someone's house, you don't want to be mauled and peed on by someone's pet. <laughs> She's gotten better. She doesn't pee anymore, but she still jumps on people. I think we do that. We have a tendency sometimes to make our pet doctrines jump on people. It's the first thing when they walk into the door. Hey, my pet doctrine is peeing on you and jumping on you and clawing at you. Let's don't make it about those things. We're not, we're not supposed to make things about secondary, secondary issues. Paul, one of the passages that we are focused on from here on out that we, is Acts chapter 2 is, is a, our vision for our church to be a modern expression of the early church. But also Ephesians 4, 1 through 16 is our goal. And Paul finishes that paragraph when he talks about presenting every person mature in Christ. In the previous to that, he gives a little doctrine statement. He gives the essentials of the faith and the things that we're supposed to major on. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called, in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all. And since Paul was from South Jerusalem, in all y'all, right? Did you catch that? It's the essentials. Man, we need to hold fast to the essentials because there's something very important at stake. When we walk in unity over the essentials and we walk in love, it speaks to the world around us. Jesus in his prayer in John 17 says this, I pray that they will all be one. Now he had you and me in mind because he talks about the disciples of the disciples and he was praying for us. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be one in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. When we, when we walk in disunity and we don't walk in love as being part of his church, the world says, ah, Jesus isn't real. But when we walk in love and unity, Jesus says, the world will know that, that he's really from the Father. That's so crucial for us to believe and live out and strive for. We're not going to do it perfect, but we can at least pursue it. Pursue love and unity. And then lastly, I would say this. If we're going to keep the main thing, the main thing, that's Jesus, is let's never forget why we exist as a church. We live in a broken world. Jesus has called us to be part of healing this broken world around us. He called us to be salt and light. There's people who are hurting. They don't need our judgment. They need the gospel. They need love. 
They need hope. They need truth spoken in love. 2 Corinthians 5, I'm going to read it here in just a second, but it's such a powerful thing that Paul says to the church at Corinth about the role of the church, about the role of you and I in this, in this world. Here's our message to a broken world, okay? And all of this is a gift from God. He had just finished in verse 17 saying, if any man or woman be in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, all things have been made new. He says, a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us, capture that, this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God or be reconciled to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the sin offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Isn't that powerful? Paul's on to something. God was in Christ not counting men's sins against them, but reconciling us back to God. So I got to make sure I'm not counting that and walking in judgment. Our job, Jesus did it all. Our job is to, to announce that and say, hey, come. Jesus has done everything. He defeated our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one. They are defeated. Even though it still shows up in, all, in those areas, death's been defeated. Jesus said that he was, you know, the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in him, though they die, they'll live. Sin was nailed to the cross. And the evil one was stripped of his authority. So we're to announce the gospel, the good news. God wants you. He loves you. Be reconciled to him. He's done it. He's, he's good. God is good. He's saying, come. And that's our job as a church to continue to point people, not to Novation Church, but to Jesus, the one and only, who is the reconciler, the mediator between God and man. We started this church and we named it Novation because Novation means a fresh start. And we wanted to be a, a place where people, whatever they had done, whatever they had been, could get a fresh start and feel in, in the, the power of the gospel in their lives to lead people to walk with Jesus and to lead people to continue to walk with Jesus. Colorado is the third most unchurched state out of the 50 states in the that make up the United States. Oregon and Washington are the top two, and then Colorado's number three. And of the most recent statistics that, that I've read, 7% of the Denver metro area, including the suburbs, participates in church, meaning they're connected, 7%. That's a lot of people who are doing a lot of things outside of connecting and participating in the local church. So we still have a lot of work to do. We have a lot of work to do to roll up our sleeves, to love one another, to grow, to build community, and to help people 
find their way back to Jesus. So don't ever forget the power of invitation. Many of you are here because someone invited you. Keep inviting people, not just to church service so that I can feel good about myself on a Sunday morning that this room is crowded. Or we. No, because people will find community and love and hope and relationships and healing. Continue to invite people uh, to events, to all the things we do is because of Jesus. And we want people to know him. We want people to love him. That's my goal. That's my hope and prayer for everything that we do. The local church contains the hope of the world in the gospel, in the person of Jesus. He said, I will build my church. He's building his church. Our job is to go and make disciples. So I would challenge you. I'm challenging myself. I think sometimes people think pastors, all we do is pray and read the Bible and write sermons. and <laughs> That's not true. There's plenty of distractions. There's plenty of things that can cause pastors and church leaders to get make Jesus not be the main thing. You can make attendance or this or that or whatever become the main thing. I'm guilty of it too. We all are. So where in your life, if you were to reflect... Is Jesus not the main thing, the focus? Because I plead with you that if he's not the focus, then we're not truly living the kind of life that he wants us to live. He said he came to give us life and life abundantly. So let's stand together and we're going to sing the chorus of greater you, Lord. Let's belt it out from our hearts about who he is because he's the main thing. And then whatever you need to give over to him and allow him to fill you back up, do it as we sing. Vanessa and Chris for being with us this morning. We appreciate you. Let me pray. Father, I pray your blessings over your people. God, that your peace, your joy would flood and fill their hearts and their minds this week. And Jesus, as we continue to seek you, we remind ourselves it's not about us, it's about you. 
Help us to walk with you. Help us to focus. I pray for those that are struggling in their faith, Lord, that you meet people right where they're at. I pray for people to to put their faith and hope in you, to agree with you about who you are and who, who we are in you. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.